The acquisitions don't happen overnight, and a lot of conversations have to take place. Is it the right fit? Who's going to be involved? What is it going to cost? It's like no different than any other cost-benefit analysis. Welcome to Learn with Shopify. I'm Shuang Esther Shan. Imagine turning your home brews into craft beverages that are enjoyed by thousands of people. Then it's on tap and sold by eateries across the country. With an online platform, your beverages are delivered to hundreds of homes. This is exactly what Belraj Jutla and Sheehan De Silva did with Lost Craft and Craft 360, a collection of spirits and beers. Today, we are joined by Belraj, and we're chatting about all things production, retail expansion, and marketing as a consumer packaged goods company. Welcome to the show, Belraj. Thanks for having me. Okay, so there's a lot of competition within the beverages and alcohol industry. How did you guys differentiate yourselves with Lost Craft? So um, this started about seven, around seven years ago. Yeah, you're right. There's a lot of competition in the space. Uh, we are really passionate about beer. And entering into the market, we found that a lot of craft beer at the time was, you know, becoming very high on alcohol content and very high on the hoppy bitterness side of things. And so we always preferred easy drinking, approachable beer. And so we wanted to bring that style of beer into the market. So along with like a minimalist can design and our experience from travels around the world, you know, we brought different styles of beer from around the world, brewed it here locally, and we were able to come up with a product that, you know, many people liked. And um, yeah, so the, the focus was really on approachable beer and approachable products that everyone could enjoy. How did you first approach getting your products into the cups of different consumers? I assume it's very different from traditional e-commerce goods. You really have to like hit the ground running and develop those relationships. So the e-commerce portion of our business came much later. Um, I think initially in Ontario, the challenge is to get into the LCBO first. Um, but prior to that, um, you know, we wanted to test the market. So um, Sheehan uh, primarily was going door to door while I was coming up with some of the designs and some of the marketing, um, selling the product um, to different bars, restaurants to kind of um, understand uh, understand like what was the preference and um, really like it's really guerrilla marketing at that point. And then the first step is getting into the LCBO so that you can actually sell um, uh, you can sell to consumers. The online portion of our business kind of was sprung up after COVID uh, because uh, everything was moving online and, you know, uh, we were no different than any other business and we explored how to make that happen. Uh, and that's how um, sort of the online portion of our business uh, started. Tell us about that pivot and that move online, like what kind of steps you had to take um, in a short period of time to ensure that the platform was just right for the consumers that you were targeting. Yeah, so... Um, in order to sell alcohol uh, or any liquor-based beverages online, you need a retail store authorization. So during COVID, we looked to acquire um, uh, one of those retail store authorizations by by going through an acquisition of, a, of an existing brewery. And so there's many ways you can do this, but that's the approach we took. So we acquired a brewery called High Park Brewery, um, who actually had that in place at the time. And we were able to uh, then, you know, launch our products uh, alongside their products online as well. 
And so that's kind of where Craft360 was born because we had a multitude of different brands under one umbrella. And then we were quickly expanding our business into spirits at the same time. Um, and so that's kind of what motivated us in a sense to find a brick and mortars location initially. But also we wanted people to experience our brand in person as well. People knew us as Lost Craft around the city. People uh, went to a lot of our events, some of the community events that we put on, uh, some of the th- activations we did in the um, in the city. And people knew us from the Toronto Zoo because uh, uh, the Toronto Zoo is a, a massive supporter of ours. And um, and so, but they, other than that, they couldn't really like come somewhere, meet the founders, and really experience the brand other than those events. So this was a win-win situation for both companies, uh, High Park and Lost Craft. And it allowed us to create a space where we could experience the brand and also have the advantage of selling online. It sounds like there's multiple layers within this move online. There's a retail expansion and there's, you know, an acquisition as well. Um, Before we talk about all those expansions, tell us a little bit about just building the online store because I know that there's intricacies you're dealing with an alcoholic beverage. So I guess what are steps you've taken to craft the online experience? So like full disclosure, we use Shopify as a <laughs> uh, as an online platform. I come from a technology background and uh, I'm well versed in building e-commerce stores. I've, I used to build e-commerce stores um, in my past life and I used to create brands in my past life too. And then Sheehan, uh, he comes from a finance background. Um, so putting our heads together, um, we had to understand the regulatory issues that came with selling alcoholic beverages online. And so it's a little bit of a trial and error, but there were some things we knew for sure. So for example, we can't ship outside of our province. So Shopify has those capabilities that we can we can remove different you know shipping locations and and things like that for customers. And then there's also the concept of collecting can deposits for each product. So we have to kind of come up with a built-in price and then calculate the tax afterwards. Um, so that's that's a bit more granular, but there's some like operational challenges with that. And then the last piece is like logistics. How are you going to get the product to the consumer? This is not like a package that you receive every day where like they just leave it on your doorstep. We need to verify that the buyer is over 19 and that the buyer is actually the person who is buying it. So there is some verification involved in that scenario. Uh, we actually manage our own logistics. So our drivers will go and drive out to wherever the products needs to be delivered. Um, we'll do an ID check with the c- customer uh, and then uh, deliver the product. That also comes with its own challenges because during the early days of COVID, everybody was home. But when things started opening up, you had people who were slightly going back to work or their schedules are shifting. Not everyone was in lockdown. And so um, we had to come up with like a communication strategy as well, you know, informing the customers that their product is coming the next day before a certain period of time. And then having our drivers uh, communicate with those customers. So developing like a standard operating procedure around uh, how the how the delivery piece works. So there's a lot of steps involved, but we had to basically make that very succinct um, on the online store. And we were able to do that. It sounds like it's a very complicated process because, you know, on the surface, you're just moving online. But as it turns out, you actually have to build out your own logistics system. How was the financial side of determining that? Because I'm sure like having your own drivers, that's also costly, but shipping heavy beverages 
that comes with is cost as well. So how did you approach it from a financial side? It's trial and error. Like you don't have like a, a solution right out of the box. Uh, we had to have a logistic side to our business to begin with because we were direct delivering some of our products to the LCBO and to licensees, which are known as bars and restaurants. Um, so we already had a, a small like fleet, you can call it. And within that, we had to like, we had to funnel in our online orders. Now, at the beginning, we didn't want to disrupt the, um, the, the licensee business. And so uh, just to kind of understand how the logistics would work, myself, our friends were delivering out the product. As a business owner, you need to understand how your customers are expecting to receive your product so that we could come up with the standard operating procedures that we can share with the drivers and share with uh, our team. And our team is super customer focused, uh, but you know, still you want to be able to be feet on the ground and see kind of what your customers expect. So uh, that's how we that's how we actually trialed and narrated it. From a cost perspective, we try to combine our regular deliveries out to licensees and LCBOs along with the home delivery. So um, the routes sort of increase from like 15 stops to 20 stops. Um, you know, uh, in some scenarios. In other scenarios, we had to hire another driver, but we were able to pivot a little bit in, in COVID because in COVID, we weren't delivering much to licensees uh, because licensees were closed. Um, and so uh, home, we were able to pivot a little bit to, to LCBOs and home deliveries. Uh, and then when licensees opened back up more recently on a regular basis, we actually had the, the process built out. So now we're able to kind of be more efficient with our uh, combined, uh, combined force. Lots of moving pieces and dealing with different restrictions. Um, this also parallels your marketing because you are limited on what you can say and how you can actually market your products. So how did you guys approach the marketing aspect? So um, from an online perspective, we didn't change too much on how we communicated through, like, let's say, our social aspect, uh, like social media. But we did start letting people know that our products were now available online and that they can not only buy from the LCBO, they could also buy from us directly. Mm -hmm. um, we also had um, not every product that you make is, you know, ends up at the LCBO. So uh, we were also able to offer like exclusive products that came directly from us. You know, that's one way where you can, um, you know, start selling product uh, directly through uh, through your channel and grow, and grow your channel. Um, also the unique... Uh, ability to maybe mix and match products. Um, so we have mix packs on the website as well. So you're able to like mix some high park beer with uh, with lost craft beer. You could buy that together. You can make a combined cart with those uh, those items. So it gives customers a little bit of uh, optionality as well. Because mm -hmm. um, although both companies make approachable beer, they're different. And so um, you know, giving that optionality to people is uh, is I think like one of the main ways to do it. Um, and then online, we can sort of communicate our brand, right? So over the holidays, we can do holiday gift packs. And then other holidays, we can kind of come up with different promotions and things like that that we can offer. Sounds like this is very much directly talking to existing uh, customers and like building on that relationship and giving updates. Um, what about like reaching a bigger audience? And have you had experience just like managing different campaigns and trying to like, you know, fill in more people at the top of the funnel? Diversity and inclusion are uh, core values uh, to Lost Craft as a business and to the people that work at Lost Craft. Every single one of our brands gives back to the community in various ways, to initiatives that support the community, 
we have a platform and we want to be able to let other initiatives um, leverage our platform and bring them to light. So we do a lot of community work. We do a lot of community engagement and we also give back to the community. The other way is um, your standard Facebook marketing, um, you know, uh, Google marketing, Google searches. Um, but uh, th- there, those are some ways that we can, um, we can increase uh, just the awareness. Um, and to us, you know, the awareness of those initiatives is, is, is very, very important because people are doing some amazing things around the city. Um, people are doing some amazing things to support their communities. And, uh, you know, we want to be front and center in helping them do that uh, because we believe that's re- very important. Um, let's now talk about your expansion because now you have spirits, you have two different uh, beer brands. How do you go about managing the different brands and ensure like they are each distinct, but also roll up into craft 360? That's a really good question. It presents itself some challenges. Definitely. Um, you're doing a lot of the same work many, many times. We have the same values, but we have distinct brand strategy for each. For example, we're we are very sensitive to, like, it was very important to us to maintain the High Park brand. They had a great Toronto brand. They were similar to us. They were doing a lot of things around the High Park community. For example, one of the beers was giving right back to the High Park Zoo. You really have to have a clear vision of what you're trying to accomplish in each area. Um, from a, This is not just from a marketing standpoint. It's also from a product development standpoint as well. So... Those go hand in hand. So the process we take with, there are some similarities with the process that we take to develop like a Lost Craft product, the process we take to develop like a local spirits or, a, or our tequila product. But at the end of the day, they appeal to different demographics and to different um, consumers. So um, it's just about staying true to uh, where those products came from, where they originate from. Every one of our products actually have a unique story. You know, she and was in Germany for uh, like for a trip. He went to visit some craft brewers. Uh, he came back with an idea of creating like a German Kolsch style beer. I really love whiskey, uh, and so like this was an, uh, the spirits venturing into the spirits was driven by that uh, to you know kind of develop like whiskey and tasting different styles of whiskey and and sort of creating one that you like and that you think many other people will like and that you know also like stays true to your value. And then same with the tequila, like Dejado Tequila was uh, one of the members of our team, is a known mixologist in, uh, in Toronto and is a big tequila fan and thought like, wouldn't it be cool to just create a homegrown tequila that, that hit the palate? You know, he, he took a very specific approach to developing the tequila which, in which it would work for many different purposes, you know, mixing it into a cocktail, uh, creating an RTD, even having it just on ice. So um, every one of our products has a distinct story, and um, it's about telling that story. It's very exciting, all of the expansion into different spirits. Um, do you ever feel like you're managing, like, a bunch of different brands, and there's, like, multiple knobs to turn for each, like, spirit and each beer? Or do you feel pretty at peace and it's more holistic and it's not that hectic? Yes, like, it is challenging. No entrepreneur endeavor isn't challenging. Uh, everyone presents its challenge. We're a small team, but we have people in each role that are focusing on one area of the business. Mm-hmm. But we also collaborate a lot. 
you know, Shein comes up with an idea of how we can share some of our products. You know, we have an initiative that we're working on um, that gets communicated within the team. Chris, the mixologist, he comes up with uh, a cocktail maybe that our tequila, you know, is front and center in and we can share that with everybody, share the recipe. So it's collaborative, but at the same time, all of that goes into um, a specific person that manages that. In terms of the marketing and the social media and, and like what the customer sees, you know, that part at the end of the day comes to me and then and then I'm the one, you know, managing that part. But it is challenging. You just have to be very organized. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't, as a team, get it right 100% of the time, but we, we learn from one attempt and then we improve the next time. Uh, and we keep having to iterate and learn on how to do it. Um, none of us really come from like a, a full branding or marketing background. I think we have some of those skill sets within us, but we really push ourselves to figure out the right way to do it. I try to learn every day talking to other business owners and other entrepreneurs that are doing things in a way that like, I'd like to learn how they, how they accomplish that. You know, when we share ideas, we're very involved in the community and, and some of the community give us some ideas mm-hmm. of like, you know, maybe what they would like to see. We also share some organic content that people create, you know, like the beauty of the work that, that's put into creating like good looking product, which we get a lot of feedback on. Um, and the feedback comes from people sharing that. And so we're able to then um, really, really put up front and center user-generated content as well. So um, it's it is a it's a mixed bag of things, but you have to always stay focused and you have to always stay organized. Um, it doesn't happen all the time. You you kind of go through peaks and troughs, but um, as long as you have a plan and you stick to the plan you will get 80% of the way there. And then for the 20%, you have to, you have to iterate. And uh, that's, that's, that's how it goes. Um, speaking of user-generated content and feedback, have you established a process for collecting both of them? And like, how often do you look out for content and feedback? Um, all the time. Like the craft um, beer space, it's a very strong community. And so they share a lot of what they like, a lot of what they don't like. You know, we're involved in that community, so we hear feedback from our customers. We have an open line to communicate with our customers. They can message us anytime. Uh, we're very active on even our social channels. Um, so customers give us some feedback. Uh, you know, we take it in and we, uh, we see what we can do uh, in order to implement some of that feedback. So we're very active within that, uh, within, in, in that way. And for your expansion, we talked about that large acquisition of High Park Brewery. Um, How did you guys set yourselves up financially to understand all that it takes to actually go through with an acquisition like that? To go through an acquisition is a very daunting task. There's a lot of due diligence that needs to go into that. Um, So it's about building a relationship like any other. The acquisitions don't happen overnight. These are things that take a long time. And a lot of conversations have to take place and we have to take in a lot of opinions as well. Is it right for the business? Is it, is it the right fit in terms of partnerships? Who's going to be involved post-acquisition? What is that going to look like? What is it going to cost? It's like no different than any other cost benefit analysis that you have to go through when you're creating a product or a marketing spend or anything like that. Um, you have to look at all of these factors. Um, so it takes a lot of time. I can't pinpoint one or two things that are very specific, 
But what I can say is that you need to go through every single aspect of how you know how to run your business and make sure that you can use that as a comparison to how the other business is running. And you got to put all your minds at work. So that means talking to your accounting team, talking to your marketing team, talking to the operations team. And it's just about synergy and having all those conversations. So it took a long time, but it was very beneficial for both, like for both brands. You have to be very patient with it and you have to be very um, smart about it. Um, and so uh, I, I think that's, that's the way I would approach, approach any, any scenario that way. No one scenario is the same. So, you know, I think you have to go with what you know and then um, and learn on the fly and and bring in a lot of subject matter experts in areas that, you know, you need to fill, fill the gap. With Remove Online, you have to attract, you know, new customers to your site. How do you, you know, get people to your funnel and also make sure that they're browsing your site and they're actually purchasing beverages from you guys? So that's a really good, good question. So... I think in terms of um, how I, I would describe um, the tactical approach on, on marketing and, and how to acquire certain customers, I think the first step is knowing your audience. Um, and so knowing your existing audience so that you can then build an audience that you, you can expand that to, to, let's say, like a lookalike audience and and also engage them with the type of products that you're creating, initiatives that you're that you're uh, participating in, um, keeping them informed with what's new around your business. Um, so, for example, we opened a new bricks and mortar brewery. People can experience our brands in new and interesting ways. We can create a whole batch of new small small batch products. So, like knowing your audience and then creating a lookalike audience and allowing them to know uh, what's new. Um, so engaging them in that way. The next part is consistent brand messaging. So whether you're sending a Instagram post, whether you're doing an online Facebook ad, whether you're doing uh, an email blast, I think it's very important to have consistent brand messaging across. They shouldn't be seeing one thing on one and then getting surprised with another thing on the other. I think consistent brand messaging ensures trust in the customer and really allows your business to show itself in the best way. And so I think that's very important. One of the other important things that I think is, is useful is having very eye-catching creative. So uh, spend the time and energy to build a very visual ad or a very, very visual engaging post. That really does work. Um, and so learn from what's around you. Um, do something that's unique to your business. You know your product the best, so you know how it's going to be showcased and get other opinions, you know, really crowdsource the idea uh, with the, the people close to you. Um, sometimes crowdsourcing it with people in other verticals, like other businesses, is also interesting too. In aspects of, like you mentioned, you know, eye-catching visuals and making sure that they really resonate with people on social and paid ads, um, how do you go about, like, A-B testing certain visuals or content to ensure that it really hits with the audience? And... Um, how do you like fine tune the ads over time to make sure that they're performing the way that you want them to? Uh, so we experiment like anyone would on on the like ad platforms. So we'll try a video ad. We'll do a primarily text-based ad, for example, which is like text heavy. So like, you know, you see the word beer many times or home delivery available 
And then a lot of these ad platforms have uh, A-B testing functionality within them. So you can do like another post to maybe a segment of another audience and do maybe a more visual, like, you know, a, a can of beer being poured into a glass type of post. And then you can A-B test that. So a lot of these platforms like Google and, and Facebook have the ability to, to build A-B test and kind of tell you with the analytics what performed better and in which way did they perform better. And a lot of these services have consulting arms to them um, where a Facebook advisor or a meta advisor will kind of guide you through the ad platform. There's a lot there. Like I'm not going to claim I know every little aspect in in that, uh, but I'm learning um, and I'm always trying to improve the strategy. So I think um, take advantage of those resources. Um, they are they are provided to you by by some of these organizations, uh, and then they help you get more familiar with the back end of the of of the ad platforms, um, and then you can learn how to optimize your budget the best for you, um, and so and and for what your goal is as well. A lot, for a lot of new products, you want to do a reach campaign because you want to get the awareness out. For products that you know are available. Um, let's say a new product is now finally available for sale, you want to let customers know that this can now be purchased from our online store or from the LCBO. Um, and then you can repurpose some of that audience that was engaging uh, on, on the awareness piece as well. So really take a look at, um, really use those services at hand. Um, but that's how, that's how I've been doing it. I've been learning over time. And you will know right away what works and what doesn't from a from an initial standpoint because the, the the stats will tell you. The stats will show you the click through. The stats will show you. Um, they may not now with the iOS sort of uh, uh, limitations to uh, ad campaigns. They'll show you engagement. They may not show you the full conversion. One thing I noticed is like on email marketing, uh, why we pivoted uh, very strongly on email marketing. We found that actually worked better for our style of customer and to announce new products because our customers are really like looking forward to our emails and learning what else we're coming out with um, and learning about the, the bricks and mortar location. Um, and they kind of see new and new and interesting things happening. And with an email campaign, you can actually see a lot of the conversion. So um, we actually use the built-in Shopify uh, email campaign tool. That for us was a lot more actionable. How did you go about, I guess, collecting the first set of emails to ensure that there's customers within that channel that you can communicate to? Um, and then, I guess, the types of content that through the emails really did well in terms of conversions. So the behavior that we noticed um, primarily around COVID is uh, online purchasing. E-commerce saw a huge behavioral shift, I think. You had people in different age demographics that were learning to buy online, pick up in store, buy online, have it delivered. So we used our existing customer base, which we acquired over time, um, and people signed up to our newsletters. I mean, we've, we've had a website for a long time. We just didn't sell beer through our website for a long time. Um, so uh, people that were interested in our brand and what we were, what we were up to and, um, and, and what we were doing you know, we were able to still collect email. We sold apparel and things like that at that time. Um, but like, and you can still buy apparel today. Um, but people were just interested in the brand and interested in what we were doing, what type of community involvement we had. And I think like using that customer base. And then also um, we had the advantage of working with the high park customer base as well. As a consumer, like I always want to know what's new and what's upcoming. 
I, I want to know like what's the new flavor of the month. You know what I mean? I, I'm looking at like what features does a restaurant have? You know, what is the new uh, what's the new shoe going to look like? What's the new colorways? You know that type of thing. So I'm always looking for that. What is Apple going to release tomorrow? You know what I mean? So that type of thing. So now you have uh, different brands in craft beer, also different kinds of spirits within Craft 360. Um, what does a typical checklist look like for a product launch when you're developing something new? Whenever you're making any consumer package good, when you make your first one, you're sort of in the dark and you kind of you kind of have to come up with it on the fly and, oh, I need to get this design done. I need to get this approved. And then I need to send the label to the printer and I need to coordinate the label with the can supplier. And there's a lot of moving pieces. But once you get that down packed, there's, a, there's repeatability in that process. And most packaged goods follow that process. So um, what I did for myself uh, and and what the whole team uses is uh, essentially like a spreadsheet. We create a Google sheet with our products. And then we basically have um, each, uh, essentially each column represents um, represents like an item that we have to do down the line. So, you know, the first thing is the design. The second thing is uh, contact the suppliers for the type of package you want to put it in. Is it a tall can? Is it a stubby can? Is it a bottle? And then transfer the design to the label, proofread the label, um, you know, send it to the printer, create the tray, the box that it comes in, print out the UPC codes. Do they need to be stuck on the box or do they not need to be stuck on the box? So it's sort of like a checklist, actually. Um, so you go through that process so that you don't miss any one piece because any one piece can cause a massive delay. Um, so building that out, um, it's like muscle memory, but honestly, when you're working on many different products, it's very easy to forget something or to miss an email or to, um, or to keep that top of mind. So putting that piece outside of your mind makes it very um, objective and it also creates uh, transparency so people know where things are at and when things are happening. And I guess what's the process like of the actual spirits and beers? Like what's the QA process of ensuring the taste and the production is exactly to what you guys have imagined it to be? Um, as you can imagine, it's a very fun process. Uh, but other times it can be it can be challenging because you're I mean, obviously, you're tasting some of the, the products at different stages of its development. Um, so it's not always like what the finished product's going to taste like. Um, but you have to kind of develop a palette to understand how it's going to turn out and when it goes to turn out. I mean, we have a consumable product. So uh, that's something that we can test at different stages. Um, we also work with the distillery and we brew our own beer. And so our brewer kind of brings us uh, the beer at different stages and uh, our distillery will, you know, in the ideation state and when you're kind of developing what, what something's going to taste like, they'll bring you different samples. So you're doing a lot of sampling and always sample responsibly is that's, that's what I use. Uh, but uh, so you're, you're, um, uh, you're sampling them and then you need to be very concise to what your palate is. And, and it's very important to get different opinions. So I think like just having an approach and then narrowing down the approach. So, you know, at the beginning, you might have four samples, but then really narrow it down to two and then, you know, get to your one sample, you know, and then make tweaks to that one final sample. Like I want to dial up this or I want to dial up that or I think it needs a bit more of this or a bit more of that. Um, you know, that's the kind of... Um, process we take, but we do it as a small team. And then we, we run with that. 
you've been at this for seven, eight years now. Um, what kind of tips would you give to yourself just starting out? It's a really good question. Um, I would have, like, get very organized. Build that checklist when you first start. It's very easy to miss that um, because at the beginning, you're, you're going a mile a minute and you're just... You're creating revision after revision after revision, and and you're kind of going at it because timelines are tight, and you just want to get the product out, and you know you're dealing with a lot of things. Always make some time to review what you just did. I think that part uh, is something that I didn't have an opportunity to do at the time um, because I was always I, I was working full time at the time that I started Lost Craft with Shein, so I didn't have the luxury of time at the time that I was doing this. Um, so, um, you know, I skipped that step. And the other thing is do a consistent status check and communicate clearly with your partners or with your employees with what's happening in the business and how things are and how things are moving. It's no different than any other sort of like project or team sport or anything like that. Just have constant communication with those that you are working with that are things meeting expectations that everyone has are things um you know are things moving smoothly is there anything that like the other person can do that helps your process really take time out for that it's very easy to let that slip um but i think those two things are very important so take time to review what you just did um and really build a process around it if you can and the last thing is um is uh, communication uh, with your with whoever you're working with uh, to make that happen. And I mean, I like to end things in three. The last thing is, is just, you know, you were saying, how did you build your customer base and, and this type of stuff? Like, I wish I started sending email blasts earlier just to kind of keep, we were still developing new products and new things. Uh, I, I look back and I'm like, I had a lot of ideas at the time but you get so narrow vision because you, you're working on one specific thing and you really need to see that thing succeed. So, you know, developing the one product that if you have an idea, like experiment right away, get it going and review what you just did. So go back to that point and then start building a process to implement that. Because when you start those things early and you kind of get those things going, you really build a fully functional item. And nowadays you can automate a lot of this stuff. And then you can go in before you can go in at any time and tweak what you need to let the automation do some of the work for you because, you know, you can keep your team very lean and, you know, you can see the benefits from that. I did want to ask about, you know, both yourself and Shein were working full time and running Lost Craft. I guess what tips do you have for founders who are also building side hustles that they hope to turn into a full time business? Um, yeah. What, what, what would you suggest they do? I think you have to evaluate your business uh, the same way as you would another opportunity and make kind of sort of like a pros and cons in your head of like whatever your scenario is and whatever your life's everyone's situation is different everyone's life situation is different um, you know you go through different things in, in, in um, you're at different periods in your life when you're starting a business you have to just evaluate for yourself the other opportunity which is your side hustle uh, if your side hustle is like doing comedy at night, you know, at nightclubs, it only happens at a specific time, right? If your side hustle 
is uh, going to be maybe another full-time job that you're trying to create for yourself. It's a different scale, right? So different ambition in, in other areas. I'm not saying one is right than the other, but there's just different types of side hustles. So what I would say is like evaluate the two items, make a list of like pro and cons. It's very basic. Uh, and just see like, where is my time very valuable and what benefit will my time if I devote to it? Like if I spend 100% of my time doing um, product marketing, what benefit will that have to my business? And then you, then you have to make that evaluation. It's a bit of projection and a bit of belief. I will say one thing. However you leave your full-time career, the one thing that does happen is you just you unlock. It's like kind of uh, getting the mushroom in Mario. You unlock a part of your brain which is fully devoted to the thing that you're doing. It's almost like when you first started your business. You restart and you're like, oh my God, like I have all this time and I have all this energy and I have all this... I have all this clarity now of what I can do. And then, you know, it's a matter of getting organized and it's a matter of like applying the same effort you would when you were doing both things. So for new founders who want to launch a product, what are some steps that they should take? So like I mentioned before, um, a lot of these, when you're starting the product, uh, you notice a lot of repetition in, in that flow. Uh, but if I were to sum it up, I would say the first thing to do is come up with your packaging design. The second thing and crucial thing to do is create an approval process where you're proofreading your design and you're making sure that it fits all the mediums that it's going on, whether it's a bottle can or uh, anything. Um, create mocks of the products, like digital mocks. There's a lot of tools out there now. Um, you can get digital mocks for almost anything. So create the mocks and then create content with the digital and the physical items. And then once you shoot the content, Make sure that you're optimizing it for all the channels it's going to go on to. Is it going to go on social? Is it going to go on web? Is it going to go in print? Um, make sure that you're optimizing for that. And then the last thing is just sit back, enjoy your product, and uh, repeat. I guess to wrap up, you know, for those who are into homebrewing and they think maybe this could be a business, it sounds a little daunting because, you know, Online marketing is limited and there's restrictions. Um, your delivery system, there's restrictions. When you wanted to go online, you had to go through an acquisition. There's a lot of extra hurdles because you're selling alcohol. So I guess what are things that you say to those people who are interested to enter into this space? Like what do they need to think about? What are the key things that they should know? So for this space in particular, um, you know, do your research learn as much about the area. This, this is not something that's unique to um, Ontario, Canada. This is something like alcohol sales have some restrictions in different provinces and different, uh, some restrictions are less, some restrictions are more in different countries. And so for anybody looking to get to, into this space, I would say do your research and be very proactive on the things that you need to adapt to make that possible and follow the right channels. I cannot stress that enough. Like if you're following the right channels um, and usually it's not always laid out for you, but you know, if you're within the community, learn from others that are doing similar things to you and really take their feedback and progress, progress forward from there. You gotta be approachable in your, in your product style, but you also have to be approachable in your learning. And so I think that's something that, um, that gets changed every day. I can't tell you how many times I've, let's say, made 
a post or uh, added something to to a can, and then through the QA process, have had to change a few things. That's all part of it, and then you learn, and then you just make that make that adjustment. Uh, and then regulations also change, by the way. So just because you have it figured out in one calendar year, the regulations might change. There's a period of time where that regulation is enforced, and then you have to make a decision: Do I stick with the old regulation or do I stick with the new regulation? Is it a right time for my business to like? You know, add something to my can to make it uh, up, to make it applicable for the new regulation, or depending on how much material you produced, how many how much inventory you're sitting on, um, you know, what do you do then, right? So you have to make those decisions kind of on the fly. Mm-hmm. Lots of moving pieces, but very excited for you guys and excited to see where you guys progress to next. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you so much, Belraj. Uh, Belraj Jutla is the co-founder of Lost Craft. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me.